Thank you for visiting Crosslink Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at coccchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. Let's um, begin. We, we just did a little two-part sermon series last week called All I Want for Christmas. This is kind of a standalone message, but this is, a, this is one that I think that we need to hear, uh, to be real honest with you, because I'm going to talk about something this morning that you have heard talked about, and you maybe have had conversations with people where this kind of thing has been said to you. You may even think some of what I'm going to say today, and hopefully at the end of this you'll say, you know what, that pretty much made sense to me. Um, I want to start by, by reading the Christmas story to you. We're going to read it uh, to begin with in Matthew. Normally, I like the Christmas story to come out of Luke, and we'll get to Luke toward the end of the message. But um, let me hide this real quick before I get myself in trouble. Normally, I like to read it in Luke, but let's start this in Matthew chapter 1. Verse 18, this is the coming of Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. So Mary and Joseph are promised to be married. This is an old story, and you know this story. They're promised to be married, but they haven't really officially become married, and they're both real young, and they've probably been pledged to each other when they were just teeny tiny possibly even you know barely able to walk it's possible that their parents came got together and said hey we're gonna arrange for these two to be married and mary turns up pregnant it's it's uh you know they they've not officially been married yet this is not a good situation for them and joseph's got some problems on his hands verse 19 because joseph her husband was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So he was going to do what normally wasn't done. A lot of times you'd make a big deal out of this so that you could distance yourself from that person and say, you know, I'm not responsible for that. Don't pin that on me. That's not my fault. Uh, But Joseph wasn't going to do that. He was going to very quietly put her away and not draw a lot of attention to himself or her. Then we read in verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. At Christmas time every year, we celebrate the birth of Jesus as our Savior. In Greek, that's what the word Jesus means. It means Savior, Savior of God. Uh, in Hebrew, the, the name would be Joshua, which means Redeemer or Deliverer or Savior. And it's interesting that at Christmas time we, we celebrate him as a coming Savior. It's interesting because it assumes that we need saving. To send a Savior, for God to send a Savior, is basically to assume that we are a people that need saving. That, in other words, 2,000 years ago when Jesus was sent to us, what God said to us was, You are a people that needs help. That, that you're never going to be in a right relationship with me the way you are, that you, I've got to take some action to get you to a place where you can be in a right relationship with me. And for generations before and after us, Jesus was sent to be that Savior. More interesting than God assuming that we need a Savior and sending a Savior is that no other religion has a Savior. No other world religion has that. Now, uh, every other world religion has books. Every other world religion has uh, leaders. Every other world religion has a way to worship and a way to pray. Um, there's all kinds of teachers and preachers and leaders and philosophers. Every other world religion has that, but no other world religion has what we call a savior. 
Um, every other world religion is exactly alike in regard to the way they're set up. But no other religion do you have a person showing up and saying, hey, I am going to personally take responsibility for your misbehavior, for your sin, for your stepping out of line, for your not being able to get it right and do it right. And so, you know, nobody ever showed up and said, now people have showed up and said, hey, I've got a political answer for your problem, or I've got a, I've got a, a didactic answer for your problem. I'm going to teach you how to fix it. You know, we've got people that have showed up to do that. But no one had ever showed up and said, I am personally going to take responsibility for your sin problem. Uh, I am the Savior of the world, and I'm going to fix what's wrong between you and God. Nobody ever claimed to do that before, and this is the only time, really, that it had ever happened. It really hasn't happened since. Now, we have, you know, a crackpot that comes along every now and then and says, hey, I'm the Savior of the world, but this, this is a person who gained widespread popularity, and people uh, of many cultures, and, and you know, they, he's been embraced by a lot of people. This is different than somebody with delusions of grandeur and and uh, you know some messianic complex you know people have come along and said hey let me tell you what to do about your sin there have been people who come along and said i'm going to tell you that what you're doing isn't even sin i mean you've got people that come along now and say you know don't worry about it it's not you know that's just who you are it's it's part of your makeup it's not really a big deal there have been all kinds of people like that but nobody has ever showed up and said i personally am going to take responsibility for the things that you do wrong you see if you're a christian if you're not a christian Here's what you have assumed. You, you, you have assumed, uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's not that you believe that Jesus isn't important. You just maybe don't necessarily think he is the Savior. Because in other basic religious systems, you, you save yourself. It's what you can do to save you. It's not what someone else has done. You don't need a Savior. In all the other world religions, it's just you, know, you do the right prescribed things. You behave this way. You, you get this ritualistic about things. Um, you have to put yourself in, in some uh, system to be able to secure your eternity. Uh, because in all the other systems, you just do the best you can. You keep the rules, you keep the law, you follow the leader, and you do the things that he says that you're supposed to do. You try to be a nice person, and, and you make it. And if you embrace the Christmas story, uh, you embrace the fact that what God said was, mankind cannot save himself. Now, that idea... That idea that mankind can save himself, that is a philosophy known as humanism. There are a lot of people in this world who subscribe to the philosophy of humanism. In fact, I don't know if you know this or not, but humanism is recognized as a religion. The idea that man can save himself. If you listen to science oftentimes, you will hear that um, kind of mantra coming out of some of science. Now, not all of science. There's an awful lot of science that, that believes that there's intelligent design and that, there's, that God is behind things. But there are certain scientists that they truly believe, like if there's an illness that comes up or, you know, we always hear them say things like, we will beat that disease. We will figure out how to beat, um, you know, we'll, we'll solve all the, the uh, health problems that we have. We're going to figure out a way to stop um, pollution and global warming and all the kind of things that you know that the world talks about today if you listen to people talk one of the things you'll hear them say is we're just going to figure you know eventually we'll figure out a way uh, to get around that 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 idea is humanism if you believe in in god and you believe in jesus you know that we can't save ourselves but that's not something that we uh, buy into this idea of humanism and so you know you maybe you don't buy into the whole savior thing and you may not even be a christian and may not be into jesus at all but if you're honest there's something in you that likes this time of year you know christmas rolls around and it's like you know i i like the imagery and and you know i don't know that jesus is the savior you might say but i i think that jesus is is important i think that jesus should get lumped in with all the other world religions uh, i can't go so far as to say he's the only way to god uh, now i believe that i believe that 
I've, I've believed that my whole life. I've believed that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John fourteen six. That no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. I've believed that my whole life. But every now and then I get into a discussion with somebody and the question will be, Brett, you mean to tell me you really believe that the only way, the only way to get to Jesus or to get to God is, is through Jesus? And I believe that. In my core, I believe that. But when you say that and when you give affirmation to that, when someone asks you that question, is there a part of you sometimes that goes, yeah, I believe that, but man, that just seems so narrow. So, man, I mean, what, that, that leaves an awful lot of people out. And we don't, you know, we don't want to be the ones that, be, that are viewed as the narrow religion. We don't want to be the ones that, that get viewed as the ones, well, you know, they're the ones that believe they're the only ones that are right because that's really what it sounds like. We, when we talk about Jesus the way we do, we sound like we think we're right and everybody else is wrong. Well, the true fact of the matter is that's kind of true. The real fact of the matter is we're not making that up. That's a Jesus thing. But still, there are people that would say, you mean to tell me that if I don't do it through Jesus, I'm lost. Well, that leaves an awful lot of world religions out. And as much as I believe that, there's still something in me that understands how that sounds to someone on the outside looking in who's trying to make sense of all this and looking at all the different religions. It just really sounds like such a narrow-minded way to think. But here's the problem. If Jesus showed up as the Savior and God sent him into the world as the Savior and you believe that part, then you have to believe that the world was in need of saving and that there is a problem. That there aren't any other saviors. I mean, in any, every other world religion, no one else offers this idea of I'm gonna save you from your sins. You know, no one else comes along and says that. Um, and so Jesus refuses to act like any other optional religious figure. He does not, he, he says, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna be your Buddha. I'm not gonna be um, your, 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 Vishnu or whoever it is in the, in the uh, Hindu faith, you know, he came as a savior. He came uh, different from everybody else, looked at differently, talking about himself differently, taking responsibility that no other world religion leader has ever uh, taken responsibility. Now, you know, you're here, you like the Christmas season, you like to sing Christmas carols, and you like to see trees and lights and things like that, and nativity scenes are, are really cool, but you're struggling with this idea maybe of savior. Well, you know, I, I, I can understand that and I, I get that, but here's what I want you to hear this morning. Jesus Christ came into the world to be, and I hear this, your personal savior, not just of all mankind, not just of the United States of America, but very specifically your personal savior. And when the angels showed up, they did not say to you and to me and to the angels that were the shepherds that were there in the fields that night they did not say for unto you this day in the city of david is born unto you a ruler that's not what they said they didn't say unto you this day is born an example we don't need any more examples that's not what what jesus was about that's not why he came See, for many of us, we desperately want to think that's what Jesus is. We, you know, there are lots of good people, there's a good God, and, and there's a good place, and those good people, if they believe in a good God, they get to go to this good place, and if we can just have somebody set the example for us to show us how to be good, then we can go and we can be there. That's not what happened. The announcement that night had nothing to do with, with Jesus being a teacher. Unto you this day in the city of David is born to you a teacher. That's not what the announcement was. There have been lots of teachers, and Lord knows we, we have a lot to learn. 
And certainly Jesus came, when he came, taught us an awful lot of things. But the truth is, when Jesus came, the announcement was not example, it was not ruler, it was not teacher. The announcement was, unto you in the city of David is born this day a Savior who is Jesus Christ the Lord. Now this is what that means for you if, if bottom line, you've, you've got to leave early, you've got to check out halfway through. What this really means for you is if you dismiss Jesus, you dismiss your Savior. It's worse than that. If you dismiss Jesus and say, well, he's one of many and, and, and he, he might be a good guy and he might be able, if you dismiss Jesus on that grounds, you dismiss your only hope for a Savior because no other religion has this idea. I mean, you're not going to leave Christianity and go find this idea someplace else. You're going to go to Christianity, uh, leave Christianity, and you're going to go to another religion, and you're going to start experiencing problems, and you're going to experience um, areas in your life where you know you're not behaving the right way, and you feel guilty, and you're going to go to that particular world leader, and they're going to say, hey, here's what you do to fix it. Here's what you do to fix it. That's going to really uh, frustrate you because you're not going to be able to do the things that are going to take away the guilt that you're going to feel for the things that you do wrong. I mean, everybody pretty much seems to be in sync with the idea that I can't always get it right, that I don't, you know, there's certain things that, why do I keep doing that? Why do I keep uh, saying that? Why do I keep hurting people? Why do I keep doing this stuff? It's because we are flawed. It's because the Bible's very clear. We're, we're all sinners. But if we walk away from Christianity, go to some other world religion, and try and fix those problems, we're going to be incredibly frustrated because all we're going to be handed is a prescription for how to behave. To say that Jesus is, uh, isn't the only one or that Jesus is one of many is to say this. It's basically like saying, Brett, you know, I, I like your church and, and I, you know, the music's good and, and people accept me there and, and I, you know, we come and we learn something and we always have something to talk about when we leave. But I'm going to dismiss Jesus because I don't need saving. I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to offend you because you're really nice people. But if you think that you don't need a Savior, and you think that, that I'm wrong when I tell you that you do, then I would just have you right now look at your husband or your wife and ask them that question. Honey, do you think I'm perfect? I'll give you time to do that if you want. <laughs> See, you don't have to probe very deep for somebody to say, yeah, you, you do need help. I mean, there are, there are problems, okay? I don't know if anybody's laid them out for you, but there are things going on in your life, and, and I'd be happy to tell you what those are. Your spouse might say, I'd be happy to tell you what those are if you've got some time. Um, we need saving in this world, and, and, you know, in this world, we can see that. We can see that, that the way things are structured and the way we operate in this culture and in the, in the way we, we live out life, we can see that. Who are we to say hey, I can't save myself in this world. I can't make myself behave better. I can't make my guilt problems go away. But when it comes to eternity and when it comes to my spiritual life, I don't need a Savior. See, some of you desperately need to be saved from your anger. And you have apologized for it and apologized for it and you've said things, gone back and you've had to say your apologies. And you know you're wrong and nobody has to tell you you're wrong. And you can't save yourself from that bad habit, from letting your anger get the better of you. You're here today and, and you're just riddled with guilt because 
You can't get over it. And there are things that nobody else knows about you, but you know about yourself, and you can't save yourself from those things. And there's some people in the room that are so jealous when they see other people, and their whole life is just riddled with jealousy, and, and they know that it shouldn't be there, but they can't get over it, they can't get past it, and it's a problem for them. And, and that's the thing that just every day at the end of the day, they lay their head on their pillow and say, why do I want what everybody else has? Why do I get so angry and jealous with other people? Other people might struggle with alcohol, and they say, you know, they know it's not something. They know they have a problem. Everybody else knows they have a problem. They've tried to quit. They can't quit, and, and it's just, it's this cycle. It's this thing that they just can't get over, and constantly they come to God, and it's God, God, help me with this thing. Why can't I get past this thing? And if you could push a magic button and take your problem away, whatever your problem is, whether it's jealousy or gossip or or lust or or alcohol or whatever your thing is there's always all of us have something or things that make life difficult for us we also have things that that really if we're honest there are days that we don't even want to go to church or be associated with church people because we feel so bad about who we are and what we've done that we think man I, i hate this part of me And we know we can't save ourselves. And we know that if anybody ever does to us what they did in the Wizard of Oz, which is to pull back the curtain, what they're going to find out is that there's a little teeny tiny guy back there that's not nearly as strong and powerful as we would make that person out to believe. That, that's true of all of us. And it scares us to death to think that people are going to figure that out, and it really bothers us to think that you know, God sees that and knows who we are, and man, how do I worship and you know at at our core what I'm trying to say is we all know that there's a part of us somewhere way down deep that we're pretty much a pretty pathetic bunch and we made up the rules we decided what we were going to live by we've decided what the rules are pretty much I mean here's kind of how it shakes out because we do live in America and we tailor everything to suit us what we've done is we've taken the ten commandments and we've said well don't like two or three of those so we're not going to live by those but seven or eight of them we'll take and we'll throw those into the mix of of how we should behave and then we're going to have a couple of you know because mama said's you know, throw those in, and, and, you know, why do we do that? Well, because Mama said, pretty much. And so we throw those in with the seven or eight commandments that we really think ought to be uh, kept, and the two or three that we think are ridiculous, that there's no way anybody can keep those. We just throw those out. And so you got the commandments, and you got, because Mama said, and then you take a couple of Benjamin Franklin sayings, and we throw those into the mix and say, well, you know, you got to live by those, because it was, after all, it was Benjamin Franklin. And some people actually think that some of the things Benjamin Franklin said, you can find in Scripture. So we take all that stuff, and we kind of shake it up in a box, and we pour it all out and say, here's how you live life. And so we kind of live by those things. The problem is, we can't save ourselves in this life. What makes us think we can do anything about our eternity? What make, we can't even live by the things Mama says. Well, we can't even take the ten, seven or eight commandments that we really want to focus on and, and really live those out the way we want. We're constantly breaking our own rules. In fact, one of the knocks against Christians is, look at them, a bunch of hypocrites. They, they, you know, they, they say they're not going to do this. They say they're not going to do that. Those are the very things that they say they're not going to do, and you turn around, and those are the very things that they end up doing. Basically, what we say is, I don't need a Savior myself. Everybody else might need one, but I don't need one. People who dismiss Jesus as a Savior, that's what they're saying. You know, that might be true. That might be what you need. I've heard this. That might be your crutch. If that's what gets you through, great. I don't need a Savior. And God says, well, you know, if you think 
first of all, you can't do, you can't even do the things that you want to do that, that, by the rules that you set up. And if you can't do that, what makes you think you're going to be able to take care of yourself for an eternity? But I'm content to sit back and watch you and let you try. This ought to be interesting, I think God would say. Go ahead. You, you can't even make it through the day and not get caught up in your alcoholism. Or you can't make it through the day and not get caught up in your anger or your jealousy or whatever it is that bothers you. You're having a hard time getting through it. So if you have a hard time getting through that, what makes you think that you're going to be able to, to take care of yourself for an eternity. You can't save yourself on earth. Let's talk about eternity. So God in his wisdom and his mercy and his love is waiting for us to wake up and realize, I need a Savior. That's what I need. What's interesting is that in the Old Testament, God gave the law, the oracles, to the Jewish people. He gave the law of God, and, and he, he, you know the reason that he gave the law was for us to recognize our need for a savior it was not you know he didn't give us the law for us to be good people think that that's why jesus gave us the law or god gave us the law people think god gave the ten commandments so that we would learn how to be good that's not why god gave the ten commandments god gave the ten commandments to show us that we need a savior that we aren't going to measure up even to the even to the very basic bare bones things that God said these things I don't want you to do or these are the this is the way I want you to live he didn't give those to us to make us better we think that and we think you know I my youth pastor growing up he used to say to us if you think you're really good try and live by the 10 commandments and the sermon on the mount you know, he boiled it all down. Ten Commandments and Sermon on the Mount. See how long you, you, you know, try and go through your day and not sin, not do anything against the Ten Commandments or the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I remember just looking at it thinking, well, there's no way. See, you think about your struggles, and you think about the thing that you would change about you, but you can't. Somebody telling you what to do is not going to help you because if that's true i mean whatever your particular thing is that you struggle with that you carry to god all the time in prayer and you're constantly asking god god help me with this and you're saying god i know you've forgiven me for this but i feel so horrible about this whatever that thing is and what i know about us is that we have at least one of those all of us have something that we're constantly carrying back to god you take that thing somebody coming along and saying hey i'm going to tell you how to get over that listen if if that worked you wouldn't be carrying that to god anymore am i right there are things that no matter what people tell us no matter what they teach us there are things that we struggle with it's not that you need a teacher you already know what to do you already know what it is that you need to stop doing that's not the problem what you need what i need is a savior so god sent a savior maybe you don't buy that maybe you say well, i'm a pretty good person brett i, I mean you know, I don't cuss. I don't drink. I, you know, I'm a good guy. Everybody likes me. I show up on time at work. Uh, I'm a team player. Okay, fine. Certainly, you know somebody who needs a savior. L let's say it's not you. Let's say that you're not the person who's in need. You would say, "Well, I'm, I'm okay. I don't need any help. I'm, I'm doing good." Okay, I'll give you that for a minute. But you know somebody in your world. I mean, you maybe you come home from work and you say, honey, you, you would not believe what so-and-so did today. I mean, he just cannot get it right. It's just a problem. He just can't seem to get it right. Or you know couples. You know a couple that, that when you think about that couple, you go, man, that couple, they are out there. In fact, you, you, you know that they're in counseling, and you think, well, they ought to be in counseling. No surprise that they're in counseling. I mean, everybody knows they got problems. They're messed up. So, you know, you, you might not say that it's you, but you know it's somebody else. 
and you'd say they need help now here's the question if you know someone else or you know several someone else's here's the question is it possible that somebody is looking at you and thinks to themselves man they need help i mean they they're a mess you know they they think they're all that and they think they're all put together but i can see from a distance that there's all kinds of problems that person needs help could it be that somebody's saying you know he's a good guy i mean could it be that somebody's saying i'm sure it's true somebody somebody somewhere is thinking man that brett wilson is is a mess and if somebody didn't come along and help him he needs a savior i mean it's a good thing he's a preacher and believes in the grace of jesus because he's got problems and you know i would pretty much get in line and say yeah i got plenty of problems and I need the grace of Jesus. But let me ask you a question. If by our dumbed-down standard of right and wrong, we can look at ourselves and we can know that we've got problems, if we know that we only take seven or eight of the Ten Commandments and really take those seriously, and we know that we're going to take the mama said's, and we know that we're going to look at Benjamin Franklin and take a little bit of what he said, and we can't even do that stuff, by our own dumbed-down definition of what is good and right, how do we look against the backdrop of God's holy perfection? We, we can't even stack up against what we say is good on earth, much less hold ourselves up to the holy standard of God, which is perfect. What makes us think that we don't need a Savior? See, when Jesus came, 2,000 years ago, what God was saying was, I'm providing for you the answer to your problem. This is the solution to your sin problem. You, you know, you, you've had the Ten Commandments forever. You've had the law forever. And, and I didn't give that to you to make you better. I gave that to you to show you that you needed a Savior. Now you've got a Savior. I've been promising this for hundreds and hundreds of years. I know you're not going to be able to keep the law. I know you're not going to be able to merit a relationship with me. That's what God's saying when he sends Jesus into the world. I know you can't do it on your own. I know you're not good enough. I know that at the end of the day, you don't have what it takes to live a life that merits my loving you. I know that. So I'm going to send you a Savior. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. And that's what makes Jesus unique. Because he came and he took personal responsibility for that particular thing in our lives. And that's why you can't in good conscience and logically place him in the same context with every other world leader and every other uh, religious leader and religion that is known to man because he's different, because he didn't come to be what any of those guys claimed to be. He didn't come saying he was a good teacher. See, I would argue with you that if you come and tell me that, Je if I say, what, how do you define Jesus? And you say, well, I define Jesus as a good teacher. I'd say, Jesus, if, if Jesus isn't Savior, and Jesus isn't Lord, then Jesus was a liar, and Jesus, therefore, was not a good teacher. Good teachers don't lie. Josh McDowell talks about the fact that Jesus is one of three things. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. He's either a liar because he called himself a good teacher, and good teachers don't lie, and he called himself Savior and King and God, and he, he wouldn't have done that if he was a good teacher or he's a lunatic and he just had delusions of grandeur and thought he was, and, and he basically was crazy or he is who he said he was. And he's the only one who claimed it. And if there's ever been a time that you've come to your life and you were willing to admit that, then the good news is that Jesus came for you. I heard a great story 
a, a great story that is going to illustrate for you as we close this, this message um, what Christmas is. Uh, Andy Stanley tells this story about, his, about a, a, a circumstance in his life some years ago. He had just bought a new car, and it was a pretty nice new car. It wasn't brand new. It was a used car, but it didn't matter. It was really, he, sa- he says it was the nicest car he'd ever owned, and he was really proud of it. It's the kind of car that you, know, you park in a garage and you don't even want to drive. You know what I'm talking about? You know what it's you get something new like that, and you just take care of it, polish it, and rub it and clean it. And you know, it's like you 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 have to see ID before people are allowed to ride inside of it and that kind of thing. It's that's kind of the way this was. And he was enjoying his new car. He pulled into the driveway one time and he he described the paint and he said it was almost black, but it's this real dark green, real pretty, real shiny, just beautiful. He really enjoyed this car. And he pulled into his driveway one night after work and he's walking into his house and he looked over his shoulder and on the hood of the car he saw where someone had scratched into the paint three triangles. And he said it had gone all the way into the paint. And, and I imagine they're pretty good size if you could see them over your shoulder walking into the garage. They have to be pretty decent size. And he said there were three of them, and they'd gone all the way into the paint. And he said, you know, the first thought I had was, oh, man, I bet one of my kids has done that. He had three kids. So he went and got the oldest one, brought him out, and he said, uh, Andrew, you know, d- did, you, did you scratch Daddy's car? And he said, no, sir, Daddy, I, I didn't scratch the car. All right. He brought the second one out, and, you know, Garrett, did you scratch, scratch Daddy's car? No, sir, Daddy, I, di- I didn't scratch your car. Allie did it. Well, Allie's the youngest. She's three. So he brings Allie out to the car, and he points to the hood, and he said, Allie, did you do that? And she said, yes, sir, Daddy, I did that. He came to find out, find out later that she had just learned how to make her A's. And so she was practicing how to make A's on Daddy's new car, you know, which is, you know, chalk, chalk and some, you know, that been, or whiteboard or anything would have been a lot cheaper, you know. I'm sure he'd like to have had that instead. But that's what she'd done. Now she's three. And Andy at the time is 40. What does a 40-year-old say to a 3-year-old to make her understand what she has done? Does he, does he start the process by, by saying, Honey, do you understand that now I've got to take time out of my day, time that I don't have, to call a man that I don't want to call and have a conversation I don't want to have, and then I've got to set up an appointment to go have my car looked at. I've got to drive through Atlanta traffic. It's going to take me an hour to do that. It's going to take time out of my day. It's, you know, it's gonna, and then they're going to take my car and they're going to give me a rental and that's not going to be a good thing and then they're going to tell me that they don't have the paint color because it's special and they're not, you can't get to it and it's going to take them even longer and I'm going to be without my car for a long time how do I explain to a three year old all the inconveniences that go along with these three triangles in the hood of my car how do I explain to her that, that it's going to cost me money that mom and I are probably going to have to spend some time that we're already busy people how do I get a three year old to understand understand how her actions have just affected me in a very very adverse way how do I communicate that to a three-year-old he said do I you know do I do I tell her now Allie you're gonna have to pay for this we're gonna lock you in your room until you come up with the three or four hundred dollars it's gonna take because not only I can't just you know go over this one little section of the triangles the whole hood's got to be repainted how in the world is he to communicate to a three-year-old what she has done so you know what he did? He got down on one knee. And he took her wrists 
And he looked her in the eye and he said, Allie, please don't ever do that again. And she said, okay, daddy. And then he got up, he went into the house and he made the call and he paid for the hood with his own money. He took care of something that wasn't his fault and he made it all go away. That is Christmas. That's what Christmas is. It is it's, it's looking at you and looking at me and saying, look, how do I describe to finite humanity that what they have done is to completely ruin what I had going? I had it set up. It was perfect. That paint job was perfect. And as they learned how to write their name, they scribbled all over it and they tore it up. How do I explain to them what it's going to cost me? How do I explain to them how it hurts me? How do I explain to them that their sin and the way they behave is a problem for me? So at Christmas, God in his mercy and his grace came to humanity in the form of a baby and said, don't do this again. And in the meantime, I'm going to provide Jesus to fix the problem. He's not a ruler. He's not an example. He's not a teacher. He's not a lawgiver. He is a Savior. And that is why we celebrate Christmas. And that is why the angel said in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Let's face it. For a lot of folks, the religious experience has not been a good experience. I mean, how many of you would say that as you grew up and you thought about church and you thought about going to church, it was something that you dreaded and it was something that your parents dragged you to and it was something that you really didn't like and it, you just you, you heard the word church and it was like, oh. I mean, anything having to do with church, some of us, we just dreaded the idea of church. And the angel said, hey, I know how you feel. <laughs> because some of the shepherds weren't even allowed to go into the synagogue. If you were a shepherd, you weren't allowed in the synagogue. You were too dirty. You weren't allowed. It just wasn't for you. And the shepherds heard that night, I know that this hasn't been a, I know the whole religious scene hasn't really embraced you, and I know it's not been something that, that you felt really a part of, but I'm telling you there's good news. I'm not introducing to you another ruler today, and I'm not telling you there's an example or a teacher. I've come today to tell you that there's good news. Because from now on, you can know where you stand with God. And in those times that we feel like a three-year-old that just scribbled our initials in Daddy's paint, and we know we did something wrong, we don't have any clue how bad it is, how extensive is the damage, and what it really, truly cost. He has sent us a Savior. And that's why it was good news, and that's why it's still good news. And you may be somebody who lumps everybody in together, and you may be someone who lumps Jesus in with all the other religious leaders and say, you know, he's just another guy. That's fine. Here's the good news for you. You may not come to that realization today. It may be weeks. It may be months. It may, may be years. But here's what you need to understand. That invitation 
to receive a Savior for your shortcomings, and let's just call it what it is, your sin. That invitation for you to receive him as a Savior is always open to you. And God will wait until you come to a point where you realize that the only Savior ever offered by any religion anywhere came from God when he offered Jesus for you and for me. And when that young boy, that child, that infant came as a baby at Christmas time, what God sent to us was the answer for the problem of our sin. And one day you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to realize, I need a Savior. And that's when I want you to hear the words out of Luke chapter 2. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He is Christ the Lord. I hope that at some point you will come to a point in your life, if you haven't already, where you give your life to Christ and you let the Savior meet the need that you have for reconciliation with God. The only way you get in right standing with God is to receive his son and what was done on that cross for your sins and for mine. That's the only way. I know it sounds narrow. I know it sounds like I think I know it all because that's the only answer I'm giving you, but I didn't make it up. It was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He is the Savior, and that is what Christmas is about. Let's pray together. Father, if there is someone in the room who has at this point in their life just written Jesus off as just another religious guy, another religious leader, I pray that this morning's talk has been able to at least jog their their mind a little, help them to see things differently, help them to think about Jesus in a new light. Lord, those of us who have experienced the love of Christ uh, for most of our lives know that he is exactly who he said he is. And he is the remedy for our sin problem. He is the answer to the problem of why can't I get this right? The answer is we can't get it right. We are all sinners and we stand here in front of you this morning uh, completely naked before you with a sin problem on our hands. The blood of Jesus on us. And the only way that we are able to come to you and even say a prayer and even be in your midst is because Jesus died for us and has made a way made us pure and holy Father to think that that baby would grow up yeah he'd live a perfect life yeah he'd show us an example and yeah he would teach but Father what he came to do was to die and in dying purchase for us forgiveness Lord I pray this morning first of all giving you thanks for those of us who are forgiven all of us are just some of us have received it some of us have said yes Father, this morning, we pray for ones in the room who maybe have never done that, who've never said, I need forgiveness. I don't need it from a teacher. I don't need it from an example. I need it from the Savior of the world. His name is Jesus. Father, we give you thanks for that baby. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.